So this morning we are going to be in John chapter 8, and we are, uh, we're starting a new series today, and so for the next couple of months, uh, we are going to be looking at what are known as the I am statements of Jesus. And after today's message, if, you, if, those, if that's unfamiliar, if that's an unfamiliar concept to you, then, um, then after today's message, hopefully you will understand uh, a little bit more and understand the concept of this. But in the Gospel of John, uh, we have traditionally seven I am statements from, uh, from Jesus. And there are things like, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, um, I am the good shepherd. So, like, there's seven of those, and so we're going to take a look at all seven of those. But I would also add two others that we're going to bookend, um, bookend the series with, um, including today, which is kind of the foundational statement through which we understand all of the other ones. There's a huge debate going on when Jesus, as Jesus is doing his ministry, is, is who is this Jesus? Who, who is he? Um, the disciples, remember when the storm hits them on the boat, they, one, the big question they ask when Jesus calms the storm is they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So even as they're watching Jesus um, heal people, as they watch him teach in the synagogues, as they, as they listen to him and hear him proclaim the good news of his kingdom come, they still are unsure, okay, who, who are you? They keep feeling like, man, are we, are we missing some part? Like this is, we've never, they'll say things like they, they thought he was a teacher, they would call him rabbi, but then they would say, we've never heard anyone teach like this. Some thought he was a, a prophet, but they thought no one has ever prophesied with this kind of authority. And so who, who is he? And so we're going to take a look at the statements of who does Jesus say that he is? And the opener that we want to begin with is this incredible statement in John chapter 8. Arguably the most profound statement or shocking statement that Jesus makes in all of the Gospels. So if you turn with me to John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 56, and then we're going to go back from there. So by the way, in a, a section like this, this is a great time to make sure you have, it's, it's helpful. We'll have the scripture up on the screens, but it's really helpful to have it in front of you. Uh, we always have uh, paper Bibles at the front of each section and the back. If you don't own a readable version, please grab one and take it with you. But if you can pull it up on your phone or whatever you have, it's always good to just to have God's word in, in front of you so you can see all of it and see it in, in context. So... John 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now that may seem like a strange passage or a strange way to break this up. If you're like me, the first time I read that, I thought, well, Jesus wasn't very much for grammar, right? It's a strange statement. Before Abraham was, I am. 
And then I would think, oh, but then they picked up stones to kill him. So evidently the Pharisees were big sticklers on grammar. They must not have been very happy about this. And so it's a very confusing sentence. It's a very confusing statement. What does he mean by before Abraham was, I am? Why is it such a big deal and why would they want to kill him over it? Now, if you have grown up in the church and you're familiar with these passages, you, you know what, um, what the point is. But I'm hoping that by the, the run-up, we can see, then we can dig a little bit deeper. And if you aren't familiar with this passage, you're not alone in this room at all. And hopefully you can see why this is such a big deal. So I want to walk through the lead-up, walking through this passage, describing what's happening, and then hopefully show how this whole interaction is very relevant to us today. So to really understand, I mean, you could go back even farther, but we're going to go back to verse 31. If you go back to to verse 31, what's happening is uh, Jesus is speaking to a big crowd, crowd slash mob, many of whom believe in him. This is what's fascinating about this. He, he, he's speaking to the Jews, like we see this in verse 31. Um, he says to the Jews who had believed him. So these aren't just people who are out to get Jesus. There are people in the crowd that are like that. But what we have to remember is that throughout Jesus' ministry, there are crowds that follow him with people who both believe and don't believe. They believe some things and then they struggle with others. They like some things about Jesus, but they don't like other things. And so just to be mindful, sometimes we can get very black and white with it and we think that there are just the people who are fully devoted to following Jesus and the people who are out to get him. But most of the people that were following Jesus around were in between. They were in, they were out, they were hot, and they were cold. They were near, they were far. And that in and of itself should be something that we hold in our minds and remind ourselves of. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So there's this, just pause right here. Jesus is offering them freedom. He's saying, listen, if you abide in my word, you'll be free. And their response is, what are you talking about? We're the chosen people. We've, we've always been free because we are the chosen people. We belong to God through Abraham. We have never been enslaved, which is a strange statement to the people who were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years, right? Like they, it's not like they've never known slavery, and yet what they're hearing from Jesus, they are defensive at first, and they say, who are you to tell us that we're enslaved? Who are you to tell us that we need to be set free? We've never been enslaved. So Jesus explains to them, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So like we talked about last week, we are not just people who sin or make mistakes or do bad things. We are actually enslaved by sin. The part of this gospel narrative that we proclaim every week 
is that we are lured by our own desires to serve our own kingdoms. And that that is the rebellion that God is talking about. That is the sin that, it, that God is talking about. Yes, it manifests itself and it plays out in specific actions many times. But ultimately, the root of our sin is we do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That we believe ourselves to be our own kings, the master of our own domains, and we pursue our own desires. And what Jesus is saying, that may look like freedom to you, but it is not. You're actually enslaved to your own desires. You're enslaved to sin. We're controlled by it. And through those selfish, perverted desires, all evil has entered the world. So Jesus says, if you are set free by the Son, then you are free indeed. And then he goes on. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he's addressing that. They're saying, look, we're not enslaved because we are offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, yes, I know that. But you seek to kill me because what I am saying, you don't understand. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If that were true, listen to him. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now what's What's going on there? Well, how is this leading up to it? Jesus is saying, look, if you were actually Abraham's children, you'd be doing his works. And part of Abraham's works, what's Abraham's greatest work is that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Jesus is saying, if you were actually Abraham's children, you would understand, you would have ears to hear, you would believe the truth that I am speaking to you. But instead, you don't, not only do you not believe me, but you seek to kill me. And then he says this very interesting thing in verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. And they're like, wait a second. We don't have two fathers. We're not illegitimate children. We are pure Jews. We are purely, purely from the line of Abraham. And so we aren't, uh, we aren't mixed in any way. Like this is all coming, we, we come directly from Abraham. And Jesus is going to point out that's actually not the case. Now, it's important to remember that Jesus is not talking about all Jews here. Right? This is not about, this isn't actually even about like, the heritage or lineage of Judaism. There are many Jews who believed in Jesus, including all of Jesus' disciples, including you know, Jesus himself. So, so this is not about like Jewish or like Judaism or anything like that. This is about those who said, we are right with God. We are not enslaved to anything because we were born in this heritage. And Jesus says to them, Abraham's not actually your father. If he was, you would do his works. Instead, you have a different father. And they say, that's, that's not true. And Jesus is going to show them. Verse 42 Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Hold on to that. That's going to come up big later. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Okay, now we see this escalating. We see why maybe this leads to a place where they attempt to kill him. So Jesus is saying, look, if you belong to Abraham, you would do his works. If you belong to God, you would love me because I came from God. You don't understand because you don't want to understand because you are not of my kingdom. Your desire is to, do, is to do the will of your father who is the devil. He is a murderer and you seek to kill me. He is the father of lies and you lie about me. He is showing them that they are enslaved to the sin. That even when the Messiah is standing right before them, they cannot see him because they are enslaved. They do not belong to him. And it's an important side note here to ask, what is Jesus doing? Is he, is he trying to embarrass them or to shame them? No. He is trying to shed light on the situation. They are sick and they don't know it. They are lost and they think that they're found. Have you ever tried to convince somebody that there's a problem even though they don't see it? What am I talking about? This is the upper Midwest. That's like half of your life, right? Trying to convince somebody, like you're trying to convince somebody that they probably should go to the doctor and they don't want to. Try to convince somebody that they might need help with a project, but they're not going to ask for it. Try to ask somebody or try to convince somebody that maybe we need to ask for directions, but we're not going to. It's hard, right? It's difficult because we are so sure that we understand. We are so sure that we see things clearly, that we rarely are open to anything anyone else says unless we can immediately make sense of it. That's why if you've ever like read an article that you thought really fully encapsulates your point of view that you've just been arguing with someone about and you send it to them and you think, well, this, this makes sense of everything. And they're like, that was total garbage. That's why. And here... The religious leaders are so sure that they understand. They're so sure that they see that they cannot hear what Jesus says to them. In fact, they can't bear to hear it because opening themselves up to hearing what Jesus is saying right now is opening themselves up to acknowledging that they've been living a lie. Acknowledging that they are in desperate need of what Jesus is offering. And that is scary. It's terrifying. 
And so Jesus pushes further in verse 48. Now the Jews really escalate it more. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That'll come back later of what they're accusing him of. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So Jesus has already offered freedom from an enslavement that they don't recognize. And now he is offering them eternal life from a death that they don't see. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And now we finally get to the question. They're hearing him say all these things. He has a response for everything. They're trying, they are used to being able to use their intellect, their power, their influence to be able to shame people, to corner them. And again, this is, we're talking about the religious elite that are oppressing people in the name of God. They are used to being able to do that. And with Jesus, they cannot. And they finally get to this question. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So Jesus goes back to the idea, like, look, my Father in heaven glorifies me. If he was your Father, you would see that. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Then he says this. That all leads to the passage we read at the beginning. Your father Abraham rejoiced. So they're asking, like, are you greater than Abraham? And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And now he sounds like a madman. And the Jews say to him, you're not yet 50. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So what is Jesus saying here? We see this interaction escalating, and then Jesus says this line. And what he is referencing is Exodus 3 when God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush that cannot be consumed. Moses is interacting with God, and God is telling him, go and tell my people to follow you. And and Moses says, like, listen, he says in verse 13 of Exodus 3, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So see the parallels as as God is telling Moses, Hey, you're going to lead my people out of slavery. You're going to lead them. 
And Moses says, look, if I go and tell them that you've sent me, who do I say that you are? And God gives him his name. I am. And now Jesus comes along and he says, I've come to set you free from your enslavement. I've come to deliver you from your slavery. And they say, who do you make yourself out to be? And he says, I am. It's not poor grammar. On the contrary, he's actually making the clearest statement that he's made, that he is not just a teacher or a rabbi. He is not just a prophet. He's not even just Lord. He is God in the flesh. And that is why they pick up stones to kill him. They don't believe him. And if he is not telling the truth, then he is guilty of the worst kind of blasphemy. But I would say the real reason that they, that they pick up stones to kill him is the same reason that we reject Jesus today. And it's because of what we saw where it says they didn't want to, they couldn't bear to hear his word because he is threatening the world that they have created for themselves. The reality that they've created. We talk about this all the time. We cannot put God in a box and make him something that we can master. God is not just a, a, um, just a bunch of principles or a set of beliefs that we can control, that we can say, well, as long as I believe these things and do these things, then I'm good. Because we then are no different than those who are misled then. The religious leaders had successfully done that with God. They had mastered God by, by limiting him and reducing him to a set of, of obedient like, statements to the law, like being able to be obedient to all of these things, to be able to declare themselves righteous, to be able to say in front of everybody, we do all the right things, we believe all the right things, and therefore we are righteous and to accept what Jesus is saying means that my righteousness means nothing. And what I need to do is accept Jesus and be set, by, set free by Jesus. So when Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, part of what he's saying is, look, if you try to set yourself free by the things that you do, by the things that you convince yourself of, then you are still enslaved to sin. But if you are set free by the Son, then you are truly free. And they cannot bear to hear it. They had their position. They had their place. They were confident in how they stood and where they stood. And here comes Jesus pushing against all of that, lifting up outsiders, saying that they have more faith. Often Gentiles or Samaritans have more faith than the religious leaders. And it makes no sense to anyone saying that they are missing the point, that their works are worthless. And now, calling them a slave to sin. And they're saying, us? We are the righteous ones. How dare you? And because of that, they turn on Jesus. What I want to just do quickly with that is to look at it and say, okay, in what ways are we drawing parallels? And what I see in this is, three really common defenses that are still used today. And I'm just going to throw these out there and hope that if you see these in your heart, that it would be a sign that you might say, 
okay, Lord, what am I protecting? What in my own world or in my own, the perception of me or any of these things, what am I protecting here? We see three common defenses. The, the first one is the one that I like to call the nuh-uh defense. You might recognize some of these from your playgrounds of your youth, but they hold true. What I've found is that we might use bigger words as we get older, but the defenses are kind of the same. So the first thing they do is they take offense to what Jesus says. Who are you to say that we are in sin? He says, look, you're enslaved to sin. I've come to set you free. That should be a really exciting statement. And instead, they're offended. They're defensive. We've never been enslaved. How dare you? One of the things that Lauren has said over the years that I just, it hits me a lot of times whenever I want to be offended. And she said, I think one of, the, one of the greatest marks of someone that's abiding in Jesus is that they're not easily offended. That we'd be open to hearing things from one another. That we'd be open that even when someone delivers something poorly, that we would say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to hear from that? And here they are easily offended. And we live in a culture of being easily offended. And I would just say as Christians, we don't need to be that because we aren't our own defenders. We get to trust in the one who has set us free. And when Jesus is coming to them and saying, look, I'm, I'm here to set you free, it feels a little bit like, he, like when he says, I, I, can, I can heal you. And they say, heal me, I'm not sick. Free me, I'm not enslaved. And then we go back to that idea, what we were talking about, the, the, the stubborn loved one who refuses to go to the doctor refuses to recognize the situation that's in front of them. That we want to be able to say, no, I'm not sick. No, this isn't a sin for me. No, this is not a struggle. I'm good. I'm fine. It's all fine. And I hear that all the time, not only from outside, but also in my own heart. No, I'm good. No, it's fine that that's what's going on. No, no, no. I have declared myself free from that. Do you realize how silly that sounds? It'd be like noticing a tumor and saying, no, I have declared it benign. It's fine. It's foolishness is what it is. So I just encourage all of us to say, let's hear those things. And if somebody says like, hey, I think maybe there's an issue here that we would be open to hearing it. And it's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for anyone. But I think often the Holy Spirit is bringing things up, whether it's in a sermon or you see something or you hear something or you read something or you notice something in somebody else's life and starts to just to, to make you cringe a little bit. And then we just quickly like tamp it down and be like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine that that's the way that they live, but, but, I, but I, I, know, I know what I'm doing here. I know how I'm following God and this is, it's fine. Let's be a church that doesn't defend ourselves from the words of Jesus. Because we don't need to. And from the outside, we would look at them, and if we could be there with them with the understanding that we have now and with what we've seen in Jesus, what would you say to those religious leaders? Say, you don't need to be afraid. He's not shaming you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's bringing you freedom. Hear him. Listen to him. And for many of you here that are here that would say you're not followers of Jesus, like that's the offer. It's freedom. But if we don't realize that we're sick, 
We don't know that we need a doctor. Jesus in Mark 2, the, these, the scribes of the Pharisees were asking the disciples, why, why does he eat with sinners? And Jesus heard it and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. Those who think they are healthy have no need to go to the doctor. And then they end up dying in their sin. Denial of an illness never made anyone better. Only a true diagnosis from the great physician leads to healing. So after the Nuh-uh defense, they go to the, one of my favorites. Do you know who I am? That's a fun one. Have you guys ever seen, like, I, I never waste any time at all on YouTube but someone once sent me this one thing that I watched one time, and that was it. <laughs> but you see these embarrassing, other people see these embarrassing videos on YouTube um, where they have the, the body cam footage from police officers on, like, traffic stops. You seen these? It's always, like, kind of, like, most of the time it's pretty entertaining, but my favorites are when they pull over a politician or a celebrity or sometimes like the police chief. And they get the response from the person in the car, some version of, do you know who I am? Like if you knew who you were accusing right now, you'd probably think twice. And it's so delightfully embarrassing, right? Like it's so just like, oh my goodness, like this is not going to end well at all for, for anyone. It's not even like, hey, I'm pretty sure I didn't break the law or I didn't notice I was doing that. It's like, yeah, yeah, but do you know who I am? Like, is there anything more desperate than that line? Anything more sad? And this is what they pull out on Jesus. We, we're Abraham's offspring. Like, do you know who we are? Do you know who you're accusing? And they're putting their hope in their heritage, in their title, not their faith in what Jesus is saying. And we're no different often today. Even when we're confronting one another, like, do you know, do you know who I am? Do you know, like, I've been going to this church for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. I know the Bible really well. So who are you to try to call this out in me? And we have a whole culture where people think they're born a Christian or because their family has Christian values. They don't need anything. And you can't, you can't call them out on anything. Who do you think you are to tell me that I need to turn to Jesus? I grew up in the church. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. My grandfather helped build this church. And we do this when we need to identify with a tribe. And all we're trying to do is convince ourselves rather than throwing ourselves at the mercy of Jesus' feet. And we attach ourselves with tribes and we say, I'm a part of this theological camp. I'm a part of this denomination. I'm a part of this political party. I'm a part of this group. And by identifying with this group, I'm fine. And what Jesus is saying over and over and over again is, identify with me. And then through me, you have your tribe, your people. And the response of Jesus, moreover, is 
when they say, do you know who I am? His response is more than you even realize. But that's not the question. Essentially, he says, do you know who I am? And he doesn't say it in a, oh yeah, well, I've got bigger credentials. He says it with compassion, saying, do you know who I am? Who do you see? What do you hear? He said, if you, if you did, if you're from God, your Father, you, you would hear my voice, and it would resonate with you. And you would love me, and you would receive my word. But they can't. Because they would rather have the illusion of freedom that they feel like they can control than to give it up and find true freedom from sin. They would rather be right than receive truth. They would rather preserve their pride and their dignity than to be saved. And that's why he says, you're not of God the Father, you're of the devil. They, they do says you do his works you push his lies and you deny my word and that's the question for us are you more concerned about protecting what you have always thought or do you want to find the words of eternal life and the third one is they go to a defense that says, well, I'm just going to discredit you then. They're going to call him crazy, a madman, possessed by a demon. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. And so they get to this key question, who do you make yourself out to be? Their response to Jesus saying that they are of the devil is to accuse Jesus as having a demon. Look at what they're doing. This is a classic defense of just accusing the other person of what you are actually doing. Like, it's a great defense. Are you lying? Just accuse the other person of lying. Are you being judgmental? Accuse the other person of being judgmental. It's easy. This defense is, is often paired with the first one, making for the formidable accommodation of, nuh-uh, you are. And we think, like, oh, that's so childish. But if we would take a step back, we would realize how often this finds our, its way into our hearts when we feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, when we're in a disagreement with a loved one, or with someone, or with a neighbor. Jesus has spoken truth that they've denied. He has shown them their fruit they have deflected. And now they just go to discrediting him. They can't challenge really the content of what he is saying, so they'll just discredit him. And we see this all the time. I mean, right now we are in the throes again of another wonderful political season. And it's just so much fun. It brings so much unity to everywhere, including in the church. But it's classic and it's constant. Everyone accusing everybody else of doing what they themselves are doing. 
constantly. And we do it with Jesus. We deflect and say, well, yeah, I know I'm not doing this, but other people are doing it worse. Or at least I'm doing this. And then we hear the words of Jesus and we start to soften them and translate them and push them off to the side. We say this a lot with the Sermon on the Mount, that there are things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that make us really uncomfortable. And we just say, Jesus, it feels like you're a little bit out of your mind. feels like you don't really understand how the world works. It feels like you maybe just need to immerse yourself a little bit in the 21st century and maybe we can update some of your words. Don't believe it. Jesus does not need updating. He is the great I am. And he has always been, and he always will be. And as long as we just keep him in a box where he is a leader of our political movement, or he is the leader of our social and moral movement, or he is the leader of our doctrinal camp, or he is the leader of our denominational desires, and we can keep him a little bit under wraps. We can filter what he says. And we can create for ourselves a nice little world and convince ourselves that we are free. And Jesus says, it's only if you've been set free by the Son that you are truly free. And it happens when we're out in the community, as long as we're just talking about Jesus as a good teacher, as long as we're talking about helping people or serving the community or doing good works, people are mostly good with all of that. But we start talking about the Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected, the one who promises us that he's preparing a place for us. And we start investing in the kingdom and living all out for the kingdom as though it is real. That's when people start to think that we're weird. Even people that we thought we were aligned with. And I get it. Because what Jesus is offering is pretty incredible. It sounds too good to be true. If we abide in your word, we'll never die. That's... And they say that seems crazy. It's ridiculous, but is it? And Jesus, his response is, Abraham didn't think so. The one that you say was your father, he rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And I think that that is encapsulated in that Abraham believed God, that he was going to make his descendants like the stars of the sky. And that he believed that God was going to deliver his people and his children. And he saw it and he was glad. And Jesus says, the reason you are so defensive, the reason you feel the need to discredit me, the reason you can't bear to hear my words is because you don't belong to me. And later in John 10, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? By the way, this happens after John 8, so usually 10 comes after 8. So listen to what they say. The Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Is that fascinating? Just tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. 
If anybody ever says like, hey, if, why doesn't Jesus, if like he's real, why doesn't he just come back down again and just tell everybody, hey, hey, this is who I am. Make a big announcement. And I always want to say that he did that. Like we just, there's no, there's no depths that we won't go to protect our own narratives, our own kingdoms, our own worlds, even denying Jesus right in front of us. And so he says, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And what do they hear him say? Before Abraham was, I am. So we are left with the same choice. Do you hear him? Not my voice. Who cares about my voice? My kids will love that I just said that. (laughs) But it doesn't matter about me. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear him? Do you want what he's offering you? If you hear him, then follow him. Lay aside your defenses. Who cares? Lay aside your pride or your illusions of freedom. Who cares? You have nothing to fear. He doesn't tell you that you're sick to shame you, but to heal you. He doesn't show you the darkness of your heart or show me the darkness of my heart to make us feel lost, but so that we would see him as the light of the world and be found. He doesn't give us promises of eternal and abundant life in order to set us up to look like the fool when we die and realize that there's nothing here. But he does it so that we would come and enter into his joy for all eternity. That's why he said, listen, I know it's hard to believe, but if it wasn't true, I wouldn't have said so. I go to prepare a place for you. The enemy wants you to keep your illusion of freedom all the way to destruction. Your illusion of autonomy and control all the way to destruction. He wants you to convince yourself that you're not sick all the way to death. And he wants to discredit Jesus so you won't receive his gifts. Who are you going to listen to? Who do you say that he is? I love in Mark 8, where Jesus goes to the disciples And he says, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? Because that's what matters. People say all kinds of things about Jesus. They have all kinds of versions that they want to make you believe or think is the reality. But the only question that matters is Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? And one of the great things that is happening right now here is that people are coming here to check things out. They're sitting through long services and lines for communion and a pastor that doesn't know when to shut up and makes bad jokes. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You're so lucky Filter J is on guard right now. He's so... Jaime, you have no idea. Right now, Filter J is just like, he's on it. Good job, Filter J. Um, 
But one of the great things is people are seeking. Because why are they doing that? Because they want to know, is he real? Is he who he says he is? We don't have time for religion. We don't have time to just come and play church. We don't have time for any of that. The question is, who do you say that Jesus is? And let me tell you, if you're here seeking that, to find that answer, you'll have to die to yourself. You'll have to care more about the truth than about being right. You have to trust his words more than your own understanding of what is good and holy and pure. The truth is found through surrender, not through victory. What do I, what do I mean by that? You don't, you don't come to it by ascending to it in your own strength, in your own wisdom, your own ability to figure things out. It comes through surrendering our ability to figure everything out. None of us march into the kingdom in personal triumph, like an explorer discovering a a new land through their own ability and ingenuity and strength and wisdom. Every single one of us who belong to Jesus were carried out of the pit of our own sin and self-destruction. We were rescued and redeemed and adopted through no works of our own. And we were blind, but now we see not because we're better or smarter or figured things out, but just because by grace, he's opened our eyes. So who do you see? If he's of the devil, don't believe him. But if he is from God, then hear what he's offering. If he is who he says he is, he offers you freedom, true freedom, not the illusion of freedom that the world offers, the lie that freedom means being able to do whatever you want, because everyone knows that being able to do whatever you want leads to slavery, addiction, chasing relationships, brokenness, loneliness, futility. If you try to set yourself free, by your own works, then you will remain enslaved. Anyone that has tried and said, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to change things, and then failed, knows you remain enslaved. But if the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. He offers you freedom. He offers you truth, a glimpse into reality, to see the world not as we perceive it or as we've made sense of it, but as it truly is in wisdom. He offers eternal life, not eternal broken life, but eternal abundant life, real life, not just being alive, but living. And I've shared that my personal journey centers all around this question, that in my 20s, after growing up in a version of the church and being told that I was going to be in ministry and do things, I was left with this striking reality that I didn't know if I believed. And it was terrifying. And I pleaded with God. And I got to a place where I thought I was losing my faith. And it all came back to the, re- the resurrection and Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? And what I picture is that Jesus in that time was just calling to me saying, hear my voice, hear my voice, block out everything else, hear my voice. And by his grace, he rescued me out of that. And so my personal testimony is that I was enslaved to sin. 
I found freedom in Christ, and I'm growing in my experience of that. I was enslaved to the lies that I made up for my own self, the way that the world works, but I found truth in Christ, and I'm growing in my understanding little by little of that. And I found life in Christ, and I'm growing little by little in my living of it. And I'm not the only one with that testimony here. I have given my life to being one beggar telling another where to find bread. Like many of you have. So if you're here and you don't know him, hear our testimony. Understand that's what we offer here. We're not interested in being a a Walmart of spiritual goods and services, just offering programs to make us feel like we're doing the thing. We're not interested in putting on a show for you so that you confuse being entertained with experiencing God. We are who we are. We are a people redeemed by Jesus Christ, a messy people redeemed by Jesus Christ who believe that he is who he says he is. And we are becoming who he says we are. And we want to connect you to one another as God's family on mission. And we want to come alongside of you and equip you for the incredible work that he offers us to declare and demonstrate his kingdom to a lost and hurting world. Let's pray. Father God, you are good and you are holy. And Lord, we just declare right now that you are are. We believe, Lord Jesus, that you are who you say you are. Lord, forgive us for how we have tried to shape you into our own image and let us be transformed and conformed to your image, that we might find life, that we might be set free, that we might experience all that you have for us, not by our own works, but by yours. And let us receive those gifts of mercy every day. Lord, let us cling to you and abide in your words so that we would truly be free. And Lord, I pray for those that are here that are at that crossroads. Lord, I pray that you would carry them across that line of faith. It's not our own works that does that, but Lord, but that you would just say, I've got you. I'm setting you free that they would experience that freedom. That they would turn their lives over to you and no longer live for themselves, but with full abandon, go after you and your kingdom. I pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name, the great I am. Amen.